My name is Chris Vanderkay. I write about movies a lot in my books and articles. But the thing is, I'm never going to be able to experience everything that cinema has to offer. That's why I started this show. There are people out there who are deeply passionate about corners of the cinematic universe I know nothing about. So I have a guest come on on every episode, and I try to learn as little as possible beforehand so that I can talk to them about something they're deeply passionate about, and you can learn along with me. So why don't you come with me and explore every little corner of cinema? Here we are once again on another episode of Every Little Corner of Cinema. Today, our very special guest is one Garrett Smith, who was going have me on a recent episode of his show, I Like the Movie Movie, where he let me dive deep into the conspiracy theories of what the movie Pompey Pool is actually about. Um, and so I wanted to return the favor and bring him on to talk about something insane here that he loves and might be crazy about in the way that I was with Pompey Pool. Garrett, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Chris. I'm uh, very excited to be on this podcast. I, I have to... Uh uh maybe apologize right up front in that i am about to talk to you about something i'm obsessed with but it's like kind of a recent obsession so it's like a thing i'm like sort of new to as well well that that could be good you know they say that there's uh there's no zealot like a convert right yeah 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 i am uh i am all in on uh on what we're going to talk about today I, i'm like so it's honestly why i made it why i was like let's talk about this because i've just been dying to uh pour out some of the knowledge i've been amassing well, you know what? There's no reason to dally any further. Let us dive into the deep end of whatever corner of cinema that you have in store for me. So what are we talking about today? I want to talk about Godzilla. Uh, I like to refer to him as my best big boy. He is my best big boy. And uh, I have been watching Godzilla movies for the last year. I've seen all but three of the Godzilla movies made in the, you know, the 50, 65 years that uh, they've been making Godzilla movies. And uh, I want to talk all about every single one of them. I, I love these movies. Awesome. I think at 65, he should probably be known as your best big man. You know, uh, see, I, I have best boys. That's the thing. Jason from the Friday 13th uh, series is my best boy. Uh, Godzilla is my best big boy. Dan and I have a whole thing on the podcast about our gay island, the place where we fantasize about the, the men that we would want to live our lives with, where we leaning that direction. And uh, uh, th these boys are on that island. Well, I salute you for your daring selections, first of all. Thank you. Thank um, you. And I will say it's interesting because I think there's something interesting, at least from what little I know about Godzilla and Jason Voorhees, which is they're they're both killers that have uh, a childlike heart at the center yes. of them. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. I mean, Godzilla. I, I think part of my obsession with Godzilla is that he has this 65 year history, and so coming so late to it, it's like this this huge sort of subject that I can like really sink my teeth into. And uh, one of the things that's interesting about Godzilla is the way he has sort of shifted around as a character over the years, uh, you know, starting with uh, Honda's first movie, which is like a very serious movie for adults. And then like pretty quickly within like five years, shifting into something that is like much more specifically geared towards children uh, and, and treated as more of like a heroic character than uh, than sort of a monstrosity that humanity doesn't know how to deal with. And if I may point out, an interesting uh, parallel to Jason Voorhees as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, uh, by the way, I am a huge Friday the 13th fan. Uh, I think you and I are going to get a chance to talk about that in some other podcasts we've been talking about doing together. Uh, so I'm right there with you. Like, I, I do think there is something very interesting to me about these characters that, uh, you know, they start as these like uh, these these 
very villainous characters and are ultimately revealed to be, uh, you know, I guess troubled characters themselves, you know, the, and, and due to some sort of uh, uh, childhood trauma, if you may. I, I don't know. Maybe that maybe Godzilla kind of fits into that. Maybe not as much. Yeah, childhood is a wonky term, given that you came out of an egg, I think, right? But Yeah, um, well, he does have a son at one point. There's a movie called Son of Godzilla, and there is a a, a son character. Uh, and Godzilla is shown to be a very bad dad over the course of the movies where he has a son. He mostly pushes him around and, like, steps on his tail to try and get him to breathe fire better. It's it's pretty wild. He He's the original tiger dad. Yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, listen, I don't understand your reference, and I won't have it in this quarantine. <laughs> so uh so one of the, there's two questions that immediately leap to mind i'm gonna ask them both in order and you can answer them however you wish the yeah. first is what are the three films you haven't seen and the second is what started this year-long odyssey what made you just decide to dive in these are great questions and the first one requires me to sort of like run through my rolodex now so i know godzilla versus biolante is the one that is hardest to find in america uh, it's the second in the, and now here's where my ignorance as a Godzilla fan is going to show through a lot. I don't even exactly know how to say some of the words I'm going to say. A lot of them are Japanese words that I've just been reading on the internet, uh, and have not, uh, heard anyone say out loud. So the Godzilla movies are separated into the Shawa era, Showa, Shawa era, uh, the Haiza era, Haiza, Haizai, Haizai, I don't know how to say these, uh, and the Millennium era. Uh, and now there's a new era called the Raiwa era. Uh, and those all refer to, I believe, uh, uh, whoever is like the emperor of Japan at the time that those movies were being made. Uh, something like that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm showing my ignorance now. These are like the have facts that I that I have in my head about these things. That's kind of fascinating that they would name the, the franchise or I mean, name the era of the franchise about the king of the monsters with the leader of the country. Uh, the yeah. Attacking. It's really strange. Well, and I think that that's more of, you know, this is one of those things that has kind of like uh, become part of the lore after the fact, right? Like they they didn't make the first Godzilla movie and go like, and now the, you know, it's not like a, a Attack of the Clones where it's like, ah, the Clone Wars have begun, you know, they didn't give it a name before it started, you know? I right. think it just became once there was like, once there was the 10 year gap between Terror of Mecha Godzilla, which is the 15th Godzilla movie in considered the end of the first era, the Shawa era. Uh, there was a 10, I think a 10 year gap between that and what is referred to as Godzilla 1984, uh, also called Return of Godzilla. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's the beginning of the Haiza era. Uh, and so like there, I, I basically, I think once that gap occurred and they started making more, there was then a need to go like, okay, well, how do we, how do we delineate these things? How do we how do we go, you know, what's our name for original trilogy and prequel trilogy as regards these like sort of like huge decade spanning markers in uh, in Godzilla lore? Does that kind of so, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So so I am we're sort of skirting around the issue, but like you did say that you just was it about a year ago started watching yeah. these? Yeah. What, what was the inciting incident for you? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, sorry, I do this a lot. I, I tangent all the time. So to, to finish answering your first question, Godzilla versus Biollante is the second movie in the Haiza era. It's the next one I have to watch, like, in sort of the timeline of these. And uh, it's the hardest to find in America. It's one of the only ones that they have not had, like, any kind of American, uh, like, recent release of. There was, like, a DVD of it, like, 15 years ago. It's very hard to get now. Uh, I also have to see Godzilla versus Space Godzilla, uh, which I believe is one of the uh i think that's also haiza era actually 
Uh, and what's the other one I have to see? There's one more that I'm missing that I can't pull off the top of my head now. I think it's a millennium era one that I haven't watched yet. I think I'm missing one of those as well. Um, but so this all started because about a year ago, uh, my partner and I, uh, Tori, she was doing like a horror movie night every month at like a local bar. We live in Philadelphia. Um, and so, you know, uh, when we started dating, she was doing that. And so I started sort of helping her curate it and stuff. And we would sort of choose different movies together and whatever. And, uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, uh, the 2019 movie directed by Michael Dougherty was about to come out in theaters. And so we thought like, oh, we could show a Godzilla movie. Like, I think those are like horror adjacent. They're monster movies. We can say that that's horror. Uh, but we realized like neither of us had really seen any Godzilla movies, I had seen Shin Godzilla in the theaters. I think I had maybe watched the original one at that point, like at some point in my movie watching history. And I think that was it. Like I saw one on TV as a kid and I don't even remember which one. I have like very little memory of it. Uh, so we, ba I literally just like dropped a bunch of money on like, you know, there's all these like Blu-ray two packs of like Millennium and Haiza era uh, Godzilla movies. They're all super cheap. It's like $10 for two Godzilla movies. I just bought like 10 Godzilla movies in a clip and we just basically watched a bunch of Godzilla movies over one weekend trying to figure out like which one would be best to show an audience, uh, which, if you're curious, ended up being uh, uh, what is considered like one of the better Godzilla movies in general. It's called uh, Godzilla, Mothra and King Ghidorah, Giant Monster, All Out Attack. That is the full title. Um, and uh, that was the so that was the first one we showed an audience uh, and is a really great Godzilla movie. It's like in my my top 10 for sure. Does that title end with an exclamation point? I have to assume, uh, you know, I might have added that uh, that that might have just been my radio voice giving it that uh, that little extra flair there at the end. I, I don't okay. think it does. Fair enough. Emphasis yours, not the film titles. Indeed. Uh, it, but here, the uh, if you're curious, the uh, the tagline for that movie does end in an exclamation point, and it's the god of destruction, Godzilla, lands in Japan, which could just be the tagline for any Godzilla movie. Yeah, I mean, it's a good one because you can use it numerous times for uh, <laughs> yeah. pretty much the same thing. Yeah. So, uh, so you said how many titles have you said you've seen? Uh, so there are officially 36 Godzilla movies, and I have seen 33 of them. All right, so that's not bad. Now, when you say officially, what is there? Are there unofficial ones? Well, well, kind of. So I have technically. So uh, it depends on how deep you want to get into this. But like, so for instance, the nineteen fifty four movie Godzilla. There is a famous American version of that movie, which is kind of a different movie. It is Honda's movie, but they shot like twenty extra minutes of mo of movie with uh, an American actor, Raymond Burr as like a reporter and then they got a bunch of quote-unquote Japanese look-alike actors to sort of play some of the characters from Honda's movie and they like recut the movie to have this kind of like American subplot for American audiences when they released it in in America and that movie is called Godzilla King of the Monsters that is like technically a different Godzilla movie with a different title it really is mostly the same movie that Honda made but it's like re-edited a little bit it, it obviously it's an American dub on a lot of the original Japanese footage and then has this extra stuff. And they did that with a few different Godzilla movies over the years. Like it's not the only one that they did that with. They've done that with a couple of them. So there are sort of these like alternate movies. If you're watching the like American dubs of some of these, um, that one's like the most significant. But then there is also this very special sort of 
very hard to find Godzilla movie from the 70s that is referred to as Kozilla. Have you ever heard of this? I have not. I'm interested, though. Okay, so there is this Italian director who uh, directed like a lot of uh, I don't know, they're schlocky Italian movies, right? Like all the kind of stuff that Tarantino loves. Uh, his name is Luigi Cozy. Uh, oh, I don't know if you yes. know that name. Yeah. Okay. So he made Contamination and Star Crash. Like he made a couple like very big, very famous, uh, you know, like uh, Italian uh, kind of like horror adjacent movies, right? Uh, he also directed a version of The Black Cat, I think. Um, uh, but so he he made a version of the 1954 movie Godzilla where he colorized a bunch of the footage and re-edited it into like a, a like a lot of different order, like a lot of stuff is just like in a different order. He also cut in a bunch of like actual World War II newsreel footage, uh, including like actual footage of the aftermath of the bombs that were dropped on Japan. Oh it's, my. Yeah, it's very disturbing. The colorized stuff is not even done well. It's literally just like, filter passes it's like anytime there's an explosion just the whole screen is red you know what i mean like he didn't like colorize specific elements of each frame it's just like every frame has like a color filter applied to it uh and like sometimes it it happens in like very fast flashes that are like very difficult to watch um i, I was lucky enough to get to see a print of this at uh, there's a, a group in Philadelphia called Exhumed Films. I don't know if you are familiar with them or if you've heard of them. Um, yeah, they, yes. yeah, so they screen a lot of like 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter prints in and around the Philadelphia area. Uh, and every year they do a 24 hour horrorathon, uh, which I finally went to this year as luck would have it on what may have been the last 24 hour horrorathon. Um, and this was one of the things they showed. They showed Kozilla, which is apparently like impossible to find there, you know, there was never really an official release of it beyond its initial theatrical run. Uh, so unless you know somebody that has like a print of this movie, it's apparently like a very difficult movie to see. Uh, so I'm very lucky to have seen it as a big Godzilla fan. It is by far the worst Godzilla movie I have ever seen. And I cannot recommend seeking it out, really. Well, wow. so you know, you know what that is, right? Though, But by saying that, it just emboldens certain people to work harder to find it of by telling them it's definitely not worth it. Of course it does. Yeah. It's, I mean, if you are a Godzilla completist, it is probably a must see because it is a very unique, interesting part of film history that this thing even exists. Um, but it's like one of those experiments that just like seeing it on the big screen where like the, the color effects were like, it was just like, it was literally like an abrasive experience. It was also oh. boring. It was like edited in a way where it just is like not even effective. Like the it, Godzilla is a very good movie. Like the best Godzilla movie is Godzilla. And it, it, it's like an exceptional movie. And it, it was so weird to watch a version of where I was like, this is so boring. So, yeah. So it's, it's, it's not only an assault, but it's, it's an assault that's not even super entertaining. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It, it, which is why I say like I, I can't even necessarily recommend seeking it out. So you talked a minute ago about the uh, the recut that they did with Raymond Burr in, in the yeah. original one. Did they not do the exact same thing for Godzilla 1984? Didn't they literally even shoot Raymond Burr again? For I believe you are correct. Yes, I believe Raymond Burr returns as his reporter character named Steve Martin. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe I saw on... So I have never used Reddit until becoming a Godzilla fan and realizing there is such a thing as our Godzilla. 
that I now basically live on uh, because I think people there are crazy and it's very interesting to sort of watch this fandom from the outside, you know? Uh, and uh, there is now a, a call for them to cast Steve Martin as a character named Raymond Burr in one of the future Godzilla movies. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, yeah. I, it, you know, I'm interested. So, okay, so one of the things I'm curious about, because this is one of the things that draws people to franchises that have run for a long, long time, is the deep mythology that comes with it, right? Like, one of the things that people love the most about Friday the 13th is watching uh, sort of the slow development of who Jason Voorhees was, right? Because in the first one, he was a little boy that was a victim, and then he was the backwoods killer, then he gained his mask in the third one, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is there, I know you probably didn't, weren't able to watch them in exact order. Cause I know you said there's a couple that you couldn't yes. find and, yep. but did you get some sense of there being a, a building mythology within this franchise, which it, that's a huge number of entries. I mean, that's up there. That's like in James Bond territory, as far as number of entries, yes. like, is there a, is there a through line of mythology that you can see that sort of build throughout it or is it stops and starts or does it really not have an overarching mythology from film to film? So this is one of my favorite things about the Godzilla franchise. Cause I love continuity. Like I do have like kind of a deep affection for stuff that has like really crazy deep mythology and continuity. Um, I, I do think that we are may- maybe our media is a little too obsessed with that right now, but that's like a separate conversation. You know, one right. of the things I love about the Godzilla movies is that there really is not any deep continuity to any of them. Um, the fandom seems to consider the whole Shawa era one continuity uh, and seems to consider like each movie a sequel to the previous film to some extent. And you can kind of see that to some extent. Like it's not that it's it's not really there. There really is no continuity even among those 15 movies. It's more just that like. You know, by the third movie, they introduced this idea of Monster Island, where Godzilla and the other kaiju mostly live. And then that is just kind of a concept that is used throughout the rest of the Shawa era. But it's not necessarily that that island is even the same island in every movie. The events that happened on it in the last movie don't always seem to have necessarily happened in the current one you're watching. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it also that era is basically one of those things where like every successive movie was made for less money. They kept getting smaller and smaller budgets that every movie was made under the auspicion that it was going to be the last Godzilla movie. They were never going to get to do this again. Uh, so like there are periods of the shower era, like when you get into like the 10th, 11th and 12th movie in that era, a lot of them are just reused footage from previous movies. Like they don't, so like, as far as there being continuity, yeah, kind of, but it's only because you're literally watching some of the same footage again, you know? Yeah. You pointed out something I think is kind of interesting, which is that's a sort of an exact inverse to the way that it works with media today, which is we start with whatever budgeted first one. And then if it's success, uh, if it's successful, they build, they become more elaborate. In fact, it's, it's funny because you said that the first Godzilla is the best one. And it's one of only probably six or seven that I've seen. Yeah. And I absolutely agree. From what I've seen, it's definitely the best one. Yeah. And then they lose, uh, well, they lose budget as they go along. It's literally like almost the inverse of if you look at a franchise like Harry Potter, which yeah. while they spent a lot of money on the first one, it's definitely the least expensive and least quality as far as the, you know, the effects and the, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and so I agree. It's, it's, it's reversed. And so I think that's kind of interesting because really, I think it's probably only within the, maybe the past 25 years or so where mm-hmm. the idea of the sequel ruling has been the rule. I mean, it used to be yeah. sequels were kind of embarrassing. They were cash-ins yep. that people did 
to because they knew they could sucker somebody out of some money. And it's only in recent years that we've turned that into uh, a cottage industry. Yeah. Well, and so what's interesting is I do think that like as you get out of the shower era and into the the two more recent eras from like the 80s on, I do think these movies were a little more expensive. They did kind of become the like, oh, now franchises are a thing. We know that people care about them. We have this long running one that, you know, is has had a huge cultural impact, even if the movies themselves never made that much money. And we were always sort of like giving them less and less money because of it you know, Godzilla himself is this like this cultural icon now and it's the eighties and everything is a franchise. And so I think they did kind of start throwing money at them. And, and frankly, I do actually like those eras a lot better. I think that those just have better movies on the whole, hmm. uh, if that makes sense. Uh, like they, they just are better produced and uh, you know, the, the stories are a little more interesting and elaborate, I think. And that's not always 100% the case. Some of the shallow movies are some of my favorite Godzilla movies, like Godzilla versus Hedera is really cool. And it's kind of like this, this sort of like outlier from the shower era. That's like this very like hippie psychedelic Godzilla movie. Um, but like, I, I like a lot of the more recent ones cause they do kind of have larger budgets and stuff, but those ones expressly do not have any continuity. Like the millennium era like very specifically those movies, every one of those movies is only a sequel to the 1954 Godzilla movie. Every single one of them treats that movie as if it exists, but as if no other Godzilla movie has happened since then. That's uh, fascinating. It's almost like they've been doing the legacy sequel that has come become a thing now yeah. with the 30 years on Halloween sequel or the 30 years. Yeah, it's a, that's interesting. Like they all just decided we're all going to pretend like each one of these is a separate sequel to that one, but yep. we're going to disavow all knowledge of the others. Yeah. And I honestly, I love that. It's like one of the things that I do really like about these movies and, and partially maybe that's because we are living in a continuity obsessed culture right now. And so it feels interesting to be watching something that is not obsessed with that, but it does allow for this. Like one of the things I lament about Marvel movies is that the individual identities of the, the creators behind them, the directors uh, is mostly what I mean, often gets kind of, uh, um, what's the word for it? Watered down by the the studio process that they go through, right? There's there's sort of this homogenized look and feel to those movies, so that they have there's a house look to them, right? But the thing about these Godzilla movies, because they are all uh, a sequel to the 1954 movie only, is they are very much the products of their creators. Like each one, very much feels like the Godzilla movie that this director would make, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, so it's almost more like Blumhouse in the sense that it's yeah. director-driven. They're all just using the same character to tell yeah. the stories. Yeah, yeah, very much. And I, I really, really like that. Like, you know, if, you, if you're looking at even like the Shawa era is mostly comprised of two directors. There's a couple other that are snuck in there. But um, uh, Honda is the guy that made the first one. And uh, he directs like six or seven in that era. I, I think I'm right about that. He, he directs like quite a few of them. Uh, but, um, yeah, Ishiro Honda, I wanted to make sure I, I got his first name right. But then this other guy, uh, Jun Fukuda is who directed like a lot of other ones in that era. He directed like four or five of them. And even just watching those two guys sort of bounce back and forth and make Godzilla movies one after the other, it, they are, they have two distinct different voices within the world of Godzilla and they use the character of Godzilla in very different ways. And it's very interesting to see and watch those creators do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, it's kind of like 
when you look at Hammer and you see like Freddie Francis and Terrence Fisher, yeah. two of the, you know, like the guiding forces in those franchises. And to some degree, you can see the difference, even though there is a house style, you can get a sense of one over the other when you're watching a movie without necessarily having seen the credits to know. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and like another, uh, this is uh, maybe a little bit of a tangent, but uh, uh, as you were talking about, like uh, the way we sort of herald sequels now versus the way it seems like these movies were made. An interesting aspect of these, and I, I, so I'm about to tell you something that I don't fully understand the history of myself. I'm sort of still doing research on this to figure more of it out. But a lot of the end of the Shawa era, like the last five or six of those movies, maybe even more, were made for something called like the Toho Championship Festival, which, if I'm understanding it correctly, was literally like a TV series. And so like some of these Godzilla movies are were not even necessarily like theatrical movies. They were kind of like made for TV movies that were literally part of this thing that Toho would do every year that was basically for kids. It was like a T it was like a like a TV festival for children, sort of. And Godzilla was just like part of the programming. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and, so and, th and those movies are very kid friendly and kid oriented, like they star children. One of them is literally about Godzilla being sort of like an imaginary friend that one of the kids has. Um, they're, they're, and, and they're honestly, they're like considered some of the worst Godzilla movies, but I kind of like them. They're the, like, uh, uh, one of them is called like, I think all monsters attack. Yeah. All mm -hmm. monsters attack. And that's the one that's about like a little boy that sort of imagines that Godzilla is like his friend to help him overcome bullies. And a lot of people think it's like the worst Godzilla movie. And I, I think that's mostly because, you know, just the way fan culture is, they see that as like a kiddie. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? You say whatever the fuck you want, man. Uh, okay, yeah, like a kitty bullshit movie, you know what I mean? But, like, frankly, it's one of the only Godzilla movies that has, like, a coherent human plot line where, right. like, the main character actually has an arc and, like, learns something over the course of the movie, you know? Um, so there are things to like about even those movies, but they definitely were made for children, for, like, a very different audience with not much money, you know? It, it, it's very interesting to sort of look at the history of these movies and realize like, wow, there's this whole fan culture around them. But when you really look at the history of them, like some of them, like what the way modern fan culture is, they're like made for TV movies that would be dismissed if they were under any other umbrella. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so I have to ask then because what my, I guess I would say my very first entree into the world of Godzilla. I'm curious if it falls into that category. Cause I do feel like there were kids in this movie and it was Godzilla versus Megalon. Is that one of them? Oh yeah, so I am I correct that that's the one that Jack Jaguar is in? Yes, the oh. Ultraman-like superhero yes. robot that can grow to enormous sizes. Yes, and has an amazing theme song. Punch, punch, punch. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, that is very much one of the kid-friendly ones. Uh, we just watched that one recently, and I, I kind of like that one. Uh, I got to see that one at the drive-in. Uh, there's a drive-in movie theater outside of Philadelphia called The Mahoning. Uh, and they do like a Godzilla, they did a Godzilla festival last year. I think they've done them before. And that was one of the ones they screened and I totally slept through it. It like did not hold my attention. And then when we rewatched it recently here, like I kind of enjoyed that one actually. It's very, very kiddie, but it's like super fun and weird. It's just like actively strange, uh, and, and is kind of a blast. Yeah. Well, that, that is my memory of it as a child, really enjoying it's inherent weirdness. I mean, I was drawn to movies like the animated Alice in Wonderland and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So yeah, it was my jam. And so that one fit perfectly into that sort of schematic for me. But uh, yeah, it's interesting because then when I as an adult, when I went back and watched the original Godzilla and I just remember thinking, what has to happen between that film 
and the other to get to this. I remember yeah. thinking such a weird, like when you think of other franchises, I mean, there aren't that many that have run for such a long time, but like, I guess you could argue that movies like Moonraker in the James Bond franchise sort of, mm-hmm. you know, jump the shark a little bit or, you know, the robot, the robot servant in Rocky four, you know, there are those weird sort of yep, like yep. Uh, those weird moments like that. But like, I've never seen one where like a franchise will go so far um, afield of where this series began, but then sometimes eventually work its way back in, maybe not to being as deadly serious as the uh, sort of nuclear holocaust of the first one, but yeah. like much more serious and much more adult than they were at, at some random point. Well, so, man, I want to go off on a hundred tangents on that comment because I, this is one of the things that I like about Godzilla so much is it hits all this stuff in really interesting ways. But, like, for one thing, like, they did Shin Godzilla, which came out in 2016, is very much a return to, like, very serious, deadly Godzilla. So, like, they have swung all the way back around, you know, some 65 years later, which is very interesting. Which is not to say there are not other serious Godzilla movies along the way. There are a handful of them. Um, But that one is, like, much more... That's their Casino Royale. Yeah, it's much more. It's it is a it's a dark comedy. I would say there is something, but it's like a it's a very cynical kind of comedy. So it falls more in line with just the very serious. And Godzilla is very much like a monster in that movie that is causing like much casualty of human life. Uh, that's a great movie, by the way. It, it's one of the best Godzilla movies. I highly recommend watching that if you've not seen it. And I have not, so I will. Um, I, there is one thing I always wonder about because, and I think this is probably true for most people who who would maybe consider themselves to be Godzilla tourists, um, yeah. you know, just sort of visiting, which is that I would imagine a large portion of their awareness of Godzilla would be the American output of Godzilla. Sure. And one of the things I think is interesting, you can see it in microcosm in Godzilla, but I think you can see it overall in sort of, I guess you would call it sort of the science fiction fantasy horror arena, which is... Um, no American Godzilla film that I can think of. I mean, I know there's only been a handful, but no American Godzilla film has ever been a man in suit Godzilla. No. Uh, yeah. They've all been uh, mechanical or CGI or what have you. And then I started thinking about it and I realized, I think that's actually a phenomenon largely of American creature features. We don't really put men in suits to play creatures that are bigger than men. You know, you've got your Abe Sapien from Hellboy, you got your Hellboy, but they're still human-sized creatures, so it's okay for a person to play them. It's something about, it, it, there's, I don't know, if they, they um, there's this American rule about verisimilitude, where if yeah. something's supposed to be big, you don't want to put a man inside of it, and yet that has been not only the tradition, but the huge success of the Godzilla films in, uh, in Japan is the idea of the man-in-suit stuff. Yeah, uh, I believe they refer, they literally have a name for that technique. They call it suitmation, which I think is like Toho's own like coined term for it, which I think is so funny. Uh, And uh, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. Like I've thought about this before because it's not like it's unusual for American monster movies to have like a lot of puppetry and stuff. But for like, but for big creatures, that's often what you'll see is, is more like puppetry type things. You know, Um, you you don't really see people in big rubber suits, or if you see them in big rubber suits, as you said, they're, they're not supposed to be oversized, you know? Yeah. Um, It is interesting, but to, to, to go further down that line then though, you know, the tradition of the, the giant monster is is very much like a Japanese thing. Like, like uh, King Kong is an American movie. But the effects of that are again like puppets and uh, and, and stop yep. motion and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, it, it's very much a Japanese tradition to sort of even even have this idea of an oversized monster that sort of coexists among humanity. Like King Kong is like 
a story that takes place like somewhere far off, you know, it's meant to be like strange and alien and Godzilla is about that thing sort of like, uh, you know, being on our territory, I guess is like another big difference. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It's, it, it is interesting. And I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know what the, the, the culturals, what, what is so specific about that. But what I, I mean, what that makes me think of is that, you know, the first movie, what is, is so interesting about that movie that I like so much about it is like in that movie, Godzilla is a metaphor for both the bomb itself and the country that drops it. Like it, I do think Godzilla is meant to represent both of those things. Like he is the horror of the thing itself, but he's also the, the force that drops that thing, right? Like he is the actual force that's, that's enacting all of that. And the movie is very much about like a country trying to respond to like, what do we do about a problem like America? And what would it mean to retaliate? Like, is that a good thing, a bad thing? Like, it seems like that's what they're wrestling with in that movie. And I find that fascinating, especially in a series that immediately the sequel to that movie, Godzilla Raids Again, is a versus movie. They they introduce uh, uh, Anguirus in that movie and have Godzilla face off with another monster. Uh, so like they they don't they don't immediately become kids movies, but they immediately uh, kind of abandon the idea of Godzilla as a metaphor for for something that that country is like sort of existentially dealing with and turn him into, you know, uh, like a like a boxing match. Yeah, uh, which is fascinating. Well, I also think it's interesting because you started talking about that. The idea that metaphorically they don't just represent the bomb, but the person dropping it is that maybe the the biggest power of all in having the man inside the suit is literally that symbology, right? Is that yeah. the monster is the mask we've put on top of an actual human being, an actual human motivation. Oh, yeah, I love that. That's a great really idea. I, I had never thought of that. And that's like a, a really good way to think of that. And, it, and you know, also just the the black and white photography of that movie, like, we, we tend to think of Godzilla, even the suitmation stuff in color now. But when you look at it in the black and white photography, it, it looks great and is truly scary. Like the, the, the miniatures in that work very well. Those special effects work great in black and white. Um, it, like it is actually menacing and scary, I think, you know, um, which as soon as you put it in color, it's maybe a little less so. And maybe that's part of why it goes the direction it does, because it just you immediately see some of the seams that are otherwise hidden by some of that, that black and white photography, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think, I also think it's interesting. One of the things that people don't recognize if they're only watching, you know, and I know in your case, you, you know, you bought older DVDs or you maybe yeah. got prints that weren't great. But one of the things that I think is, I don't want to say people have been robbed of, but certainly robbed of the experience, whether they liked it or not, is the idea of when you used to watch a movie that looked closer to what it looked like either when it was projected or when you saw it on VHS is it really does change the experience of what watching that movie is like when you see something in high definition that no one ever imagined would be seen in high definition totally um, it really alters an experience I remember somebody was talking about watching the blu-ray version of I think it was the adventures of Robin Hood and mm -hmm. they said there are scenes where the it's too good because you can see that the chainmail that some of the people are wearing is clearly paper with something drawn on it <laughs> and Michael Curtis had could never have imagined that we would be watching something in 1080p and be able to see that, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, I, I, this is a weird uh, related to that, but I always think this is a funny story to tell. Uh, so, like, Speed is a movie that I only ever saw on, like, TNT. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I only ever saw it on, like, a tube television on cable. Uh, and then, like, uh, you know, maybe, like, two years ago, 
a friend of mine was like, Hey, do you want to watch speed? And I was like, yeah, let's watch speed. Cause I had, I had only ever seen it on cable, but they literally owned it on VHS. And so we popped it into a VHS on an old tube TV and watch it that way. And you can't even read the credits of that movie when you're watching it. Like the way the word art is done for the credits, then translated through an old magnetic tape on a tube television. They just were like illegible. You couldn't even read them. And it was like, and it's like, oh, right. This is what everything used to look like when I was like falling in love with movies, you know? Yeah, oh, for sure. Well, I still remember the thing that, uh, not that I needed convincing that uh, all movies should be letterboxed in their you know original aspect ratio, but I remember yeah. one time when I accidentally brought home, right when Boogie Nights came out, I brought home the full screen version of it, not knowing it. Mm -hmm. And I watched the movie. And I mean, it's still a great movie, obviously. Sure. But I remember there was the sequence right towards the end where um, where uh, Mark Wahlberg's character has gone to this crazy guy's house who's setting off all the fireworks. And there's a sequence where he's basically sitting by himself on the couch. And the scene in full screen looks like he's basically zoned out and he's just sort of gone inside of himself. And he starts yeah. doing this weird twitching thing where he keeps like sort of looking off to the right. And you think maybe is he tweaking? What's going on with the drugs and stuff? Well, mm -hmm. it's not until a week and a half later when I get the widescreen that I realize there's a whole second character sitting on the couch next <laughs> that we have never seen in this other version. Yep. And uh, yeah, it just goes to show you that like, you know, the weird the weird ways that we used to have to experience a movie, some of it is fun and, and you know, but at the same time, it's also like how far away from the original intent did we get with all the different generations of things that we've released, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, this is to circle this back around to Godzilla. This is one of the interesting things about Godzilla where my experience is very different, I think, from a lot of Godzilla fans. I, so, for instance, Godzilla versus Megalon, one of the reasons that you saw that first is because that was one of the more widely circulated ones in America from that era. That played on TV a lot, I think. It was like you could get a VHS of that. Like, it is one of the more widely circulated Godzilla movies in America. And so it's pretty widely available. It's one of the ones that a lot of people have seen. And a lot of American Godzilla fans consider it among their favorite. And I think that's just because a lot of them got to see it, and especially at a young age. But the big thing there is like, you've got these movies where it's like they probably saw the American dub of that. And that's probably one of the things they actually love about Godzilla is that their experience with it was this more like kind of goofy, silly thing, right? Like I have been watching, I got the, the criterion set of the shower era. So I, mm -hmm. all, all of those I watched in the original Japanese where it's not edited down uh, for time. It's not overdubbed with like goofy American stuff, which a lot of them like, the dubs are like very specifically trying to make it even sillier than it already appears to be. And so I have a weird experience with these movies where I understand that that is one of the big appeals of Godzilla is the sillier side of the sort of American translation of Godzilla. But that's not been my experience with Godzilla. I really like the sort of actual original movies that these like, I'm, now I'm going to sound like a dick, but like that these Japanese artists made, you know what I mean? No, no, I agree with you. In fact, I think it's interesting because I'm sure that there's probably, if not already written, there's certainly an article, an article to be written about the sort of inborn xenophobia of the American versions of the films versus the originals, you know? Right. Yeah. It's very interesting to me because it's like I am to understand from sort of, again, like observing this fandom from afar as I'm getting into this stuff, like I do think that that's a large part of this fandom is they, they, and I understand it. It's like, they, this is how they saw these movies as a kid. You know, this is how they were presented to them. It was the way they were able to see them. And so it's sort of like ingrained in their fandom of these things that they like the big, silly part of Godzilla. 
And and that's not to say that that doesn't exist in the original Japanese versions of them. Some of these are very goofy, silly movies to begin with, you know. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I've been really appreciating them just as this sort of almost like historical document of like this movie studio Toho through the years and the and sort of their sort of main character, their like main IP that that kept driving them as a studio. I've been interested in them as like a catalog of Japanese culture as it responds to the world. Like, so this is going to sound like a weird tangent, but it's very much related. Are you familiar with the, uh, the Yakuza papers movies? Do you know what I mean when I say that? I have heard of it, but I've never seen any. So uh, I think they're also referred to as the, the, the battles against honor and humanity or something like that. Oh, yes. never mind. Ba I have heard of them. I think in fact, they might be available on shutter. They are. They're currently on shutter. Uh, and I watched all five of them that are on shutter uh, they're all, they're also referred to as the Yakuza Papers, I believe. Sorry, that was why I referred to them that way. I think that's like another title they go by. But so those movies are also about uh, post-war Japan. Uh, and those movies are about the way that the... So, you know, in, in America, right? I, 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 uh, I'm an American. I, I went through the American education system. The way I am taught World War II and, and the way I am taught America's dropping of those bombs on Japan is that... The bombs caused X amount of deaths, and that is what America is complicit for, is, is those deaths on the day that they dropped those bombs. But what those movies are about, what the battles for, uh, against honor and humanity are about, is that like that actually spawned 30 years of violence in Japan. Like The dropping of those bombs destroyed their economy in a way that created this uh, black market, uh, which they needed to survive because they they couldn't get resources in another way. But that black black market then needed to be protected, and so these yakuza gangs, you know, rose up to protect them. Blah blah blah. And so it's these thirty years of violence that this one event that America does uh, sort of creates in in Japan. And Godzilla is another version of Japanese artists trying to work through that very same story, that very same period of their history. And I I find that fascinating to think about him kind of in that way and truly i think like the best godzilla movies are the ones where godzilla is just a kind of a force of nature that uh uh the world is trying to respond to he he the best movies that godzilla is the star of are the ones where he's a metaphor where either he's a metaphor for nuclear war or he's a metaphor for our uh environmental destruction of the planet godzilla versus hedera is very much he fights a sludge monster in that movie it's very much about us polluting the environment and the environment rising up to respond to that that's what the new movie was about. Godzilla King of the Monsters, which I liked very much, was about, uh, I mean, ironically, now, as we're sitting here in quarantine, there's a line in that movie about, you know, the the world sort of creating, you know, we're the virus on the world that it has a, a sort of an antigen for. And, the, and that is Godzilla. That's these monsters. You know, I know I yeah. just went on like four tangents uh, over no, the course it, of that. It's fantastic. Well, I, I do think it all threads together in an interesting way that occurs to me, which is and. This will probably come up, hint, hint, in the spinoff series that you and me and your uh, I Like to Movie Movie co-host are going to be doing about franchises. Yes, but yes. One of the things that's great about franchises is I, people often complain. It's like, oh, there's 40 Friday the 13th movies. And in yeah. every one, this dude shows up and kills a bunch of kids and dies and comes back, right? Yeah, the, yeah. Thing, the thing that's interesting about franchises is when you can have a franchise that will continue to revisit the same theme over and over, what it then becomes is a touchstone for a point in time yes. at which point you can see here's the way in which this um, this moment is interpreted. This is what it means for this era. 
and that will change. And the next time that someone else does it, it will look different. The fashions yeah. will be different. The opinions will be different. The violence, the, uh, uh, the social messaging, all of that will be different, even though it's still wrapped in the same package. And in some ways, being able to look at that, as you have done over a year, gives you in some ways, a more honest perspective of the way that a country or an artist or whoever is looking at something through a lens because you can see it all in a compressed timeline and you can watch the evolution. Yeah, I mean, it's fat. You know, the, the other big project I've been on is I've been doing this is trying to rank the Godzilla movies. And the problem is there's so many of them. It took me a year to get through them. And now I feel like I need to start over in order to have like a, a decent idea of how or why to rank them above each other, you know? Right. There's well, just and then, yeah, and so then the many complication. The complication comes in when it's like, well, what are the factors that you're taking into consideration yeah. to rank them? You know, so yeah, yeah. That, that's actually one thing I want to ask you. If we're looking at the whole franchise, right, as a spectrum of these movies, I'm yeah. curious, what do you feel like? What's the draw? What's the charm that this franchise has that it has had the longevity and the success and popularity that it has had? In your opinion, obviously, this can't be right for everyone, but I'm curious, having come to them so newly and sort of bought in so strongly over such a short amount of time. What is that to you? I, look, I'll be honest about, and this is the thing that I have started thinking about recently and confronting. Like I, I have, I genuinely love the sort of metaphorical aspect of this character. Right. But I like that about movies and art in general. I love trying to pull that stuff apart and deconstruct it and look for, you know, uh, metaphor and messaging and that kind of stuff within them. Right. So it's like, it's not necessarily that that's unique to Godzilla. If I am really being honest with myself about why I love these movies so much, it's because there's a bunch of dudes in big rubber suits crushing cardboard buildings. It is actually very fun and cool to watch old school practical effects like that and watch them evolve through time and an industry that is getting better and better effects all the time. And they just keep applying them to this sort of low rent idea of special effects. And I, it I feels reductive to say that, but at, at the core, at what I really love about these movies and as dumb as it sounds, I do really like watching them just as these fun kind of special effects features. I really like the art of making movies. And these are, you know, Dan and I talk about on our podcast a lot. I like to movie movie. What is a movie movie? It's a movie that makes the most of its medium. And this medium offers so much. It offers visual space, aural space. It's all, it's a thousand different art forms coming together to make one cohesive piece of art. And there's no better way to see that than in genre movies, than in horror movies and science fiction movies and movies where guys are putting on big rubber suits and trying to convince me that they're crushing buildings. I love that you get to watch that in this series. It's very fun to watch that, I think. And I truly think that that ultimately, at the end of the day, is probably why Godzilla is an enduring figure among, uh, you know, cinema history is there are a lot of, you know, big monsters that crush things, but he's done it 36 times. Like he's just been around for a long time and has done it better than, than most other characters. I think partially because of that metaphorical background, I do think that that gives him a leg up on a lot of them, but also because they've been able to put a lot of money behind him from just being around for a long time, you know? It's interesting. I think you're tapping into something there that's interesting to me. When we talked about Pontypool on the other podcast, one of the things yeah. I pointed out that I like about certain kinds of movies is when they sort of destroy what I call the tyranny of story. You know, yeah. we we're talking about the idea of chronology and uh, and inbuilt and built in narratives sometimes being crushing to us, like we were just talking about with Marvel. Yeah, I think that something that's interesting about Godzilla 
is that it does away with the tyranny of, uh, I guess you, I don't want to say the tyranny of realism, but the tyranny of uh, uh, realistic, realistic depictions of things, right? Yeah. One of the things that has become, I feel like, I don't want to say a plague, but kind of problematic in the way that American cinema works is that we strive towards realism more than we strive towards um, uh, emotional impact. Yeah. So if something should look real more than it should impact you. And I think something that's interesting about the Godzilla films and what you're talking about, which is a big man in a suit crushing houses that don't look real, is isn't isn't that what makes it work? Is that they don't look real? Would we enjoy a movie where we have to watch a dinosaur actually smash buildings that we believe people might actually be in? Is yeah. that what we want from that movie? Or do we want something that's a more simplistic take that feels like it's fantastical so that we don't have to make those uh, weighted moral decisions when we're watching it? I remember... I think it was Scott McCloud in his book about comics. He said that the reason that people like uh, simplistic comic styles is because the more simplistic a design for a character becomes, the more it can stand in for everybody. Mm -hmm. And the more, the more realistic you make something, the more people are not represented by whatever that is. Yeah. And yeah. So it's something to me about like how Godzilla can tap into almost that childhood vibe of, you know, we stick four blocks together and we think that it's a house in our heads and then we knock it down. Right. There's, there's something tapping into that sort of, primal fun of destruction without any actual damage that that movie sort of taps into. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do. It's like, uh, it's so genuinely fun to me to what, cause the other thing is I, when I watch these movies and, and maybe this is the wrong way to watch a movie, I don't know, but like, especially with these in particular, I am literally thinking about like the, the people just off camera that are like, you know, have built these things to be stepped on. And the guy that is sitting, that is in that suit and is otherwise like, sweating on set and like sitting on one of the buildings that he's going to have to crush later, smoking a cigarette on his break. You know, like I'm thinking <laughs> about what it is to make these movies when I watch them. And it just seems so cool and weird and fun and such a great representation of like what this medium really can offer. Like you're saying, like truly how fantastical you can get with this medium and still have it mean something, still have it actually resonate in some way, you know? Uh, give you some kind of emotional impact because I, I hear what you're saying too. I, I actually use this phrase in reviews from time to time. Uh, there, there are uh, because I do think it's like worth calling out now because it doesn't happen as much anymore. I think you're right. Is is emotional truth? I sometimes appreciate when a movie is playing more to the emotional truth of a moment than maybe the truth truth of a moment. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I think that that works better. That's what movies and art are for, in in my opinion. You know. It, it almost feels too like Godzilla is one of the few areas in which you can still see the fingerprints of the creator. I think it's kind of what you were describing, right? Yeah. We mm -hmm. used to see when someone did stop motion, you could yeah. see the personality of the creator in that stop motion because you know it's not real. And mm -hmm. and in that in that in it's like it's like a magic trick, right? You've agreed to be fooled even though you know you're being fooled, and so you've made a pact with the person fooling you. And so there's a power in that, in the same way that there was in the '80s with the slasher films, right? With people yeah. like Tom Savini and Rob Bottin, and then and then with the the um, the Ishiro Honda films, or, well, all the Godzilla films. There's almost like this contract that we've made with the creators, where we're saying, I have an idea of how you're doing this, but. I'm buying into that contract with you. And I feel like that's largely been lost in recent years because we don't know who the creators are anymore. You know, right. yep. um, honestly, if you ask me in a sequence in a Marvel movie, who do you think is responsible for the effects in the scene? The truth is I wouldn't even necessarily be able to tell you which things were effects. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. We've, we've been removed from the art of it in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It's like, you know, uh, 
I forget what we were watching the other night. I think we were watching Leviathan, the uh, George Cosmatos movie from like 1989 or something. Uh, and uh, I think Stan Winston's name came up as doing some of the effects. And, and me and my partner were both like, oh, Stan Winston, awesome. And it's like, when was the last time you saw somebody's name come up doing special effects that you were like, oh, awesome. Because we just, we don't, we don't herald them that way anymore, you know? And, and there isn't a guy that is, do, I mean, you know, Tom Savini is still in the game. There's still a couple of those guys that are out there, but I, I think you hear what I'm saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's, that's sort of the point that I'm making is that it, yeah. it feels like it used to be a collaborative medium mm-hmm. and different arenas of film had artists creating those things. And it has started to feel more like a factory where everybody creates a bob that goes onto it, but nobody really knows you know, it's an assembly line more than it is uh, a place yeah. where artists gather. It's, uh, is that in, I think, uh, we, we've talked about, we talked about Cube a little bit on Pontypool. There's that great line in Cube where it's like, every, each hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. Everybody's making one little part of this thing. Nobody knows what it's actually going to. That's how something like this works. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what it feels like. There's that, a soullessness to it. And it's not to take away any of the skill that no. any of the individuals have. But it's they're they're working in a vacuum in some cases. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I told you know it's like uh, one of my favorite filmmakers right now is like Edgar Wright, and I think it's because Edgar Wright's a filmmaker where it's like I see his fingerprints on his movies. I know an Edgar Wright movie. I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. I know what it sounds like. You know. Yeah. Well, for I mean, it's one of the reasons why Sam Raimi is a beloved yes. film uh, uh, director of mine is because he had the kind of style that you immediately recognize, and it didn't matter what movie aside from For Love of the Game, that he made, because <laughs> you could immediately tell it was his, because there was a specific flair and in an individuality that spoke to who was making it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you're I, right, I feel like that's sort of missing. I love recommending The Quick and the Dead to people, because it's the perfect movie to go, like, if you don't think you know what a Sam Raimi movie is, watch The Quick and the Dead, and you'll go, oh, this is a Western directed by Sam Raimi. Like, you'll just immediately know what that is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. it's true. Um, so I, I'm not sure how far away from Godzilla we wandered, but I do feel like we had a pretty good conversation walking away from it. Um, yes. I am looking and seeing, we, we literally are almost at the hour point and I feel like we could probably keep going. But before we start to wrap out, I did want to throw to you to say, uh, aside from the podcast, I like to movie movie, which I highly recommend everybody go check out. Start with a Pool episode and then work your way backwards. Thank you. Um, but uh, was there anything else that you wanted to make mention of or plug or anything like that before we start to close up here? Yeah, yeah. I, I write for a blog, cinema76.com, that I recommend people check out. Um, we have a lot of good writers there. And, um, you know, I think in uh, this quarantine madness, we're all trying to, like, find some more interesting stuff to uh, to tackle and get under our belt there. So anyway, there's a lot of good writing over there that I recommend checking out. Uh, and yeah, I like to movie movie is like all over the Internet if you if you punch that into Google, I think you'll probably find us. You'll also yes. find that weird song from one of the Madagascar movies. Yes, uh, you will. Uh, but then you'll find us. Yeah. And actually, I, I want to give a shout out to Cinema76, too, because over at that site, they did a really nice write up of our new book. Uh, and uh, we really appreciate it. It's just coming out again in the midst of this craziness. And you never know how everybody's going to be affected by it, whether or not they can pick things up. So it was nice yeah. for you guys to cover it. And, you know, fingers crossed that people will enjoy it while they're trapped in their homes. Yeah, dude, we, you know, we're, we're happy to do that kind of stuff. That, I mean, so this is me just speaking personally, uh, but like one of my favorite things about doing this podcast and, and writing for them is I, I'm now a little more interconnected with the movie community at large. And I, I really do just kind of like 
sharing other people's stuff and connecting people with each other and stuff. Like I, it was like, it was an honor to have you on the podcast and be able to go like, Hey, people should see this guy's book. It's like very cool. And it, you know, uh, it's one of my favorite things about getting to do this. For sure. Same here. And, uh, so thank you for taking an hour out of your time to screen yeah, yeah. on, uh, on, uh, the world's most famous Kaiju series. Yeah. And, uh, I'm sure aside from all the franchises we'll be talking about on our other series, uh, I'm sure there's some other corner of cinema that you ha- are obsessed with, and perhaps we can have you back again to talk about whichever that one might be. Oh, there are many. I have a lot of obsessions. Li- I want to make one more recommendation to listeners really quick on the tail end of this. Probably my favorite Godzilla movie outside of the original one is uh, Godzilla versus Destroya, which is the end of the Haiza era. It's got burning Godzilla in it, which is the coolest fucking version of Godzilla ever. Uh, and it's basically a, the movie Aliens, but starring Godzilla. So you should watch it. It's very cool. I mean, you had me at burning Godzilla. So. Yep, it's awesome. It's as awesome as that sounds. Well, then there's nothing else to say. Let's close it out at that. Thank you so much for your time, Garrett. I really appreciate it. Sounds good, man. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.